This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, uh, to say that I'm excited to be back preaching today would be an understatement. <laughs> uh, my gosh. You know, I am grateful to watch church online if I have to, but I am so much happier when I am at church with the people of God. Amen. And so if you can't be here, you need to watch online. But if you can be at church, you need to be at church. And uh, and so I'm grateful to uh, to be back in the house of God today. And really, um, it is one of my favorite times of year, as you know. And uh, we're talking about, the, the, the title today is this, it's called Lessons from the Pilgrims. Lessons from the Pilgrims. And um, you're like, man, I don't know about all that stuff. Well, I do like history, and I, I like to talk about that. But really, if you understand the story of the Pilgrims, okay, that came over here, these were some brave people that uh, that... That we can learn a lot from, uh, of course, Christian people, and there's a lot of uh, reworking of history and things like that in our day and age. And um, and I, you know, the, there's nothing you can say other than the, the pilgrims here. They were Christian people, and uh, and they came uh, to what they thought was the colony of Virginia. It turns out it was Massachusetts, but anyway, they they were a little bit too far north. But at the same time, uh, they came here to establish, as they put it in the Mayflower. Compact uh, for the advancement of the Christian faith and the Christian religion, and uh, I through family research. I found out that my 11th great-grandpa was a man named Francis Cook, and he came over on the Mayflower uh, in uh, 1620, and he was tired of the bad situation that they were living in. And so he was one of the men that signed this thing called the, the Mayflower Compact. And so anyway, I'm grateful that uh, that he had some guts. And as I look at some lessons that we can learn off of these men today, you know, uh, last year would have been the 400th anniversary of uh, the trip that they made. So this is 401 years later. And technically, this would be the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving because it was in 1621. Um, But as I look at these lessons, we can learn from these guys you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff in our world right now. I mean, you don't have to look far to see. There's just wild, crazy things I never thought would happen in my lifetime. And whenever there comes uh, uh, crazy times and uh, and attacks against the faith, you know, we can either hide our head in the sand and pretend like nothing's happening, which, you know, a lot of people do, or uh, we can stand up for what's right and, and, and do the right thing. And, and that's what really one of the big lessons that I take away from these brave men of 400 years ago. And so I'm going to break down three lessons today. And, you know, usually I'm probably a little bit more uh, loud and wild and rowdy. And, I'm, you know, I may get there, but I probably won't today. I'm going to just try to talk to you straight up and uh, and enjoy our time together as we learn some lessons from some of our Christian um you know, Christian people that I'm grateful uh, were bold enough to stand up in the midst of difficulty because, you know, hey, again, here we are, you know, the last two years things have happened even to try to make make it to where you can't have church, try to make it to where you can do anything and everything, uh, but but really worship God the right way. And uh, and so we, we draw a lot of parallels to where we are in 
2021 and where these guys were in the 1620s, all right? So let's go ahead. We're going to pray today, and we're going to get into some lessons from the pilgrims. And I pray that you'll listen up and that you will receive the word of God today because God's got something to tell you. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it is true. And, Lord, we thank you for the sacrifices that people before us have made, God, so we could be here right now in 2021 reading the Bible together in our language so we could be here in a church this morning, God, uh, and, and, and meet together and assemble ourselves as we were required to do in Hebrews 10.25. And, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to each person here today, God, and you will help us to truly be thankful, God. Your word says that love must be sincere. And Lord, out of our thankfulness, out of our love for you, I want it to be sincere today. I don't want to be a faker. I don't want to be in here putting on some some charade and some show, just trying to, to pretend like we're thankful, God. We want to have thankfulness sincerely from our hearts for you and to recognize and realize that without you, we are absolutely nothing. Every good thing we have comes from you. We love you. And we praise you for that. In the name of Jesus, can somebody say amen? Amen. All right. Well, praise God. We're going to get into a few lessons here from the pilgrims. And I believe that if you'll listen, God's going to reveal some things to you today that will align with where you are in 2021. Number one, first thing I learned from the pilgrims is, number one, don't just wait for things to change. Don't just wait for things to change and hope that, well, you know, I just don't want to, I, I, I mean, I know this is going on and, and I've got this coming against me and they're saying this. No, you've got to be willing to stand up for what's right, biblically speaking. And, and I'm not talking about just what you think feels like a good cause or what you think feel. I'm talking about biblically speaking. In England in the 1600s, all right, I'm going to go nerdy on you for a few minutes, and then I'll get back to whatever, but in in England in the 1600s, it was illegal to be a part of any church other than the Church of England. In other words, you had to go to church where the government told you to go to church. You didn't have a choice like, well, I don't really agree with that church. I want to go over here. No, you had to go to the Church of England that the government – can you imagine? I mean, I'm not huge on government involvement in every aspect of my life, not a big fan of it. But I especially don't want the government telling me where I can and cannot go to church and telling me how I can and how I can not pray. That's messed up. And in fact, they kept such close track of your church attendance. If you went more than 40 days without attending a service, they would arrest you. I mean, they kept tabs on you and, and it was just not a good situation. So the Church of England was a break off from Catholicism and a lot of the citizens didn't agree with a lot of the teachings, uh, that, that, that the government told them they had to believe. I don't want anybody telling me how I have to believe Jesus, and I especially don't want the government telling me how I cannot and cannot believe and read the Bible. Amen? I want I want freedom of religion. I want freedom to be able to read God's word, and if it says, hey, 
if it says love your neighbor as yourself, I'm going to choose to do that. If it says I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, I'm going to believe that. If the Bible says that Jesus came to take my sickness and remove my disease, I don't need the governor telling me, well, it doesn't really mean that. I'm an adult. I'm a free man, and I can read the Bible and choose to figure that out on my own. And I don't need anybody telling me uh, otherwise. And so it was a bad, bad situation. So a group of them called separatists decided to move to Holland in 1608 to the Netherlands. And this was some of my ancestors. And they were free to worship there, but they were also extremely poor and had a very hard go at it. And so uh, a few years later, they decide, you know what, uh, let's just really go to where we can worship. So they head back over to England, and they left in 1620 um, for, uh, they left September 6, 1620, on this boat called the Mayflower, and headed for what they thought was Virginia, and what would someday be the United States. And on November 11th, 1620, they arrived in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and were there at Plymouth Rock. And I'm telling you, it took a lot of courage to make that move. They could have been like so many other people and said, you know what, let's just not draw any attention to ourselves. Let's just, let's just, things are bad. They've always been bad. They're never going to get any better. We, let's just shut our mouths and just put up with it forever. And I'm telling you right now, don't just sit there and put up with crap, excuse me, from stuff from the devil. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not supposed to say that preaching. Uh, I'm, I'm rusty. It's been a few weeks. Don't just sit there and put up with stuff from the devil when he's throwing it at you or from anybody else. You can stand up for the right thing. But when nobody stands up, when the persecution's coming, things never, ever change. And so it took them 66 days on a boat going across the Atlantic Ocean. This was not an easy move. This wasn't, well, let's go rent a U-Haul and, uh, you know, move a couple hundred miles. This was a big, big deal. And they made the move, and they stood up for what the right thing was. And so... I'm really grateful for people that have some gumption and some guts and have some backbone and have a spine and are willing to stand up against corruption and persecution and bad things coming our way. And I've seen the last couple years uh, – so many people, the choice is so obvious on so many different things. Um, and, 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 and people that, that would, that would just, that, they'll just bend over and, and, and not say anything at all. I couldn't believe it. You know, last year when we decided to stay open, man, I, uh, and everyone else is closing down and all this stuff and, and people are, what, what do you think you're doing? Why, why would you do that? I'm like, there's no way in the world that I'm going to let the government tell High Desert Word Center that we cannot go to church we that come on you know never again never again never again and uh and i mean and i've got friends and i know people now that still haven't opened up their churches nearly two years later and i'm like people need church more than they've ever needed it before I remember reading news articles last year about, man, it, the absolute number one worst thing you could do right now is going to a church where people are singing and, and, and people are, are all together. It's just the worst. You could go anywhere. You could go to a bar. You could go to a strip club. You could go to this. But whatever you do, do not go to church. That's the most dangerous place in the world to be. And I'm like, it's the safest place in the world to be. Amen? And so...
Never again, never again. But we're going to stand up for what's right. And so I'm grateful for people that have guts and have backbone and aren't willing to get pushed around and shoved around and thumbed around by a government that really doesn't, especially sometimes where we live, that uh, they've made it very clear they don't think too highly of the Christians. So at the same time, I'm thinking about a guy this morning named David. You guys ever heard of David from the Bible? David, um, an incredible man, but what a lot, we're familiar with David, uh, the warrior. We're familiar with David, the king, but really early on, that's not how David started. And, uh, and how David really became known is because he had some guts to stand up for stuff when nobody else would. And so, uh, if you're, let's look at First uh, Samuel chapter 17. Flip over there this morning. First Samuel chapter 17. Who's excited to be reading the Word of God together today? Yeah. Man, the last two weeks I was chasing kids around the living room trying to listen to church. Wow. That is not fun. <laughs> so First Samuel chapter 17. And uh, before... King David was King David. He was just David, the teenage kid. His original job was to sit in a field and watch sheep. And there's nothing really super courageous or heroic about that, except for David uh, was very intense with what he did. David was the type of guy that was going to give 100% to whatever job he had. And, you know, if his job was to sit there and watch paint dry, he would find a way to give it 110% and make it interesting. And I like people like that. I mean, there's a lot of people, I've said this a lot, but, you know, like, well, man, when they give me a promotion, then they'll see what I'm made of. When they put me in charge of something around here, then they'll, then I'll give them 100%. If that's your attitude, you don't deserve to be in charge of anything where you work. You should be the bottom man there. And I hope you don't get a promotion. If your attitude is that you won't give 100% until somebody gives you a title, then you don't deserve a title. And, and, uh, and, you know, in fact, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians that whatever we do, do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. And so at your job, hey, if your job is to, you know, clean the floors, I hope you clean those floors like Jesus Christ is going to show up there tomorrow morning. You need to give 100%. If your job is whatever it is, if it's babysitting, give it 110%. Don't say, well, I'll give them more when they give me more money. That's the wrong attitude, and that's not how David lived his life. And so David took this sheep watching job so seriously. They talked about one time a bear came to attack the sheep. He beat the bear up with a stick. Like, my gosh, how intense is that? Another time a lion came to steal one of the little lambs and David goes after it with his sling and his rock and he beats and kills the lion with a slingshot. I mean, this guy is 110%. But because David dealt with problems when they arose, he was ready for the big fight when that day came. And so many people are like, yeah, I'll just deal with stuff when it gets really bad. I'll rise to the occasion. You will not rise to the occasion. You will fall to the level of your preparation. And so many people, amen? Some, well, you know, when things get real bad, I know that we'll just try. No, if you can't handle things small, you will not be. Don't fool yourself. 
Don't fool yours. Don't think, you know, well, we'll, we'll just, we'll, when, when a big problem arises. No. You need to be able to handle things and challenge things head on, just like David did here. And so, if you're familiar with the story, David's about 17 years old, and every day for 40 days, 40 days, this giant shows up and taunts the armies of Israel. And he's like, man, if there's any real men out there, I'll fight them. And he's making fun of the men. He's making fun of their mamas. He's making fun of the newborns. He's making fun of everybody. But he even makes fun of the God of Israel. And all these trained warriors, all these soldiers, they're cowering and hiding and not doing anything at all about it. And so First Samuel... 17, we see when David finally shows up to visit his brothers, and when David hears what's going on, he gets ticked off. So 1 Samuel 17, verse 26, David shows up and he hears all this. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And if you've got your King James there, it says this uncircumcised Philistine. When David heard that this this uncircumcised Philistine, this pagan, this anti-God hater was out there making fun of his people and making fun of his God, it sent this teenage boy through the roof. And notice he says, who is this pagan or this uncircumcised Philistine? What he was saying is, this guy doesn't even have a covenant with God. And he's going to make fun of us. And he's going to make fun of our God. Listen, some of us have been all getting all been out of shape over different issues and situations in our life. But you're forgetting that if you're a Christian, you have a covenant with God. Now, some of you don't understand covenants, so I tell you that, and it just flies over your head, and you're like, well, that sounds nice. I don't know what that is, and I'm, I'm sorry about that, but if you'll go back to July or August, we did a whole series on it. You could listen and understand what a covenant is, but we're not going to teach that all again right now. But if you have a covenant with God, you have an agreement, you have rights, you have privileges, and you have guarantees from Scripture that God will do things for you, God will back you up, God will keep his word for you, and the enemy has no such promises. And so the enemy's out there huffing and puffing and, and barking and, and screaming, and David's like, I've got a covenant with God. I can't possibly lose this fight. And when you understand a covenant, you look at every situation different. You never go into any situation and see yourself as the underdog. You always see yourself as having the upper hand. There's not a situation in life that I go into that I'm like, man, I've got, I'm at an, un- I, I, I'm disadvantaged here. I, 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 I've got the, I've got the bad hand here. I don't know what to do. I'm always in the better position than my enemy is because God's on my side and He's not on His side. 
I don't care if it's COVID. I don't care if it's a sickness. I don't care if it's a, a, an evil person. I always have the upper hand because I have a covenant with God and my enemy does not have a covenant with God. And so David says, who is this guy? So look here at verse 32. What are we talking about? We're talking about standing up and believing in something. So verse 32, David is talking to King Saul. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. This guy's been fighting since he was David's age. But look at verse 37. Here's what David says. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. I'm telling you right now that when you have a righteous cause, you want to get in the fight so bad that you can't stand it. And here we have this situation. In fact, David says to his, to his brothers in one of these verses, they're like, David, shut up and go home. You're not even supposed to be here. And he's like, what have I done wrong now? Is there not a cause? When you have a righteous cause, you have some fight on the inside of you. And you want to stand up and do what God's telling you to do. David wasn't just wanting to fight Goliath because he wanted to see if he could kill a giant. David believed in his cause. Do you believe in your cause? Well, I don't know. And I'm telling you, some of you got some weak causes, okay? I'm not talking about some stupid politics. I'm not talking about some stupid other thing. I'm talking about a righteous cause. Do you believe in standing up for your Christian beliefs? Do you believe in standing up for the word of God? Do you believe in standing up for your family and what's right according to Scripture? When you have a righteous cause that you believe in, you will stand up for it. And the pilgrims, they didn't get on the Mayflower because they had nothing better to do or they had frequent sailing miles on their Capital One card. They got on there because they believed in their cause. And so I want you to look here at verse 51 of First Samuel 17. I'm talking about standing up for God, standing up for your Christian beliefs. So here we have it. The fight is about to happen. And I mean, nobody there believed that David had a chance. And maybe you've been in a spot where no one believes that you have a chance. Everybody believes that you're going to fail. They think you're going to choke. They think that you are going to not make it. And that's fine. I don't need everybody else's affirmation and approval to stand up for what's right. I only need me and I need God and that's it. Amen. And sometimes that's all you're going to get. And well, I'll do it if I get 10 people to back me. If I, You know what? You may not ever get 10 people to back you. But if you've got God, if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. 
And so here we have it. Here's the fight. There is literally one person at the out of all the hundreds and thousands of soldiers there. There is only one person there that thinks David can win, and that's David. Nobody else thinks he's going to win. First Samuel 17, verse 41. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. That you come at me with a stick? And so, uh, and he cursed David by the names of his gods. Goliath's got so much weapons that he's got extra guys carrying shields and weapons. David has a stick and some rocks. That's all he brought to the fight. And so they're all laughing and making fun. And Goliath starts cursing him in the names of his false gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, all right, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And so David's saying, man, you got all your weapons. I've got the name of God, and you have defied him. You have taunted him. You have made fun of him. You have disrespected him, and you have officially crossed the line. And you need to have some lines drawn in the sand. You cross this line, it's on. And David said, the line has been crossed. Verse 46, today the Lord will conquer you, and I'm going to kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but he doesn't do it with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Now, that's big talk from a 17-year-old kid coming up against a giant. Amen? Uh, We need people like that. We need people that will stand up for the name of Jesus, that will stand up for the word of God, that will stand up for the house of God, that will stand up for the people of God in 2021. And so as Goliath moved closer to attack, David snuck out there as stealth as he could. No, David quickly ran out to meet him. David could not wait for this moment. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled out Goliath's sword from the sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. I love that, man. That is justice right there. Come on, somebody. I love that David used Goliath's own sword to finish him off. And listen, so many times the devil thinks that he's got you trapped. He thinks he's got you right where you want you. But you turn the tables on him and you use his own weapons to destroy him. Amen. The devil thinks that, hey. I'm going to destroy this family and you get a hold of the name of Jesus and you use your family to destroy the works of Satan. Amen. You change that marriage. You raise those kids the right way. You start doing things God's way. And the very thing that 
that the devil thought he was going to use to take you down is the thing that you turn around and absolutely embarrass him with. And because David stood up for the right thing, it paved the way for the rest of his life. And not only that, it paved the way for his children and future generations. And so I'm talking about lessons from the pilgrims. Number one, don't just wait for things to change. Number two, think of future generations. Think of future generations. Only a selfish person thinks about their own immediate comfort. That, um, that deserves to be said again. Only a selfish person thinks about their own immediate comfort. There are things taking place right now that will uh, that are not setting up our children for a very good future in a lot of ways. They're teaching our kids things, telling our kids things. They're 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 creating things that are not good for our future generations. And so many people, yeah, but if I say something now, if I do something now, man, everyone's going to do this to me. Everyone's going to think I'm crazy and I'm willing to deal with a little ridicule now if it means that my kids can have a better future someday, amen, and can not have to endure some of the junk that is coming down the pike right now. And so only a selfish person thinks about their own immediate comfort. And, you know, I'm, I, 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 Every morning, you know, the biggest thing for me is I've got to start every day off with the word of God. And there's several reasons for that. One, because I love Jesus and I love his word and I want to grow. But two, my family needs me to read the Bible every single day. I don't just do this for me. I do this for them. I'm no good without the Bible. You wouldn't like me without the Bible. You wouldn't like it. I'm not so nice if I don't have time with God. You, know, you ever been really hungry and it just changes your mood and you're a crank? How many of you get really mean when you're hungry? Raise some hands. I know you guys, okay? It's a small town. Okay, yeah, thank you. That's a little slightly better. Some of you are still lying. But listen, when you're hungry... You're no good. You're mean. You're cranky. You're nasty. And that's how I am. If I have not been with Jesus, I've got to have some of the bread of life every single morning. And I don't just do it for me. I'm thinking about future generations. I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about my family. And it's so important that the decisions that you're making right now, they're not about 2021 they're about 2022 and 23 and 24 and 35 they're about the future generations and i'll i'll say this i'm really grateful that my parents uh, never gave me the choice of going to church now not everybody agrees with me on this and that's fine i'm a humble man i can wait till we get to heaven for jesus to tell you how right i am i'm fine with that okay but I'll just tell you this right now, that I'm really, really glad that church was never, ever, ever an option. There's not one time in my life that I woke up and my parents said, do you feel like going to church today? It was not an option. Because what if Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross that day? Maybe he wasn't in the mood or didn't have the feels yet. And so, well, I'll, I'll get around to it when I, when I get to it. 
that's not what Christianity is not about doing what you feel like doing. Christianity is about doing what the word of God says and sacrificing, especially when you don't feel like it. And so this is just, I mean, it is so imperative and so important right now that as parents that we train our kids in the ways of God and we teach them the importance of going to God's house, reading God's word, being around God's people, singing God's praises, praying to him. It is so important that we teach them right now that Christianity isn't when you feel like it. It's an everyday commitment, whether you feel like it or not, because there's some days that you don't feel like it, but you still live for Jesus anyway. And so from the time I was a day old till 18 years old and I moved out, I went to church three, actually I went three times would have been a low week. I actually went about, we had about five services a week at one point and I went to five services a week. One time we had church every day for 63 straight days and, and I, it was awesome. I loved it. It was incredible. I don't regret it. And you know, I've had people ask me, man, you know, how did you feel? Was that, was that forced down your throat? I didn't take any of it as being forced down my throat. I took it as, my gosh, my parents love me enough to teach me the ways of God that as an adult, when, when Satan's tried to hit my marriage, I knew how to fight. When Satan's tried to hit my health, I knew how to fight. When Satan tried to take my money, I knew how to fight. And when Satan tries to attack my church family, I know how to get in the trenches and fight on my knees for you guys because of that. And so I'm telling you, I don't regret it one little bit. Don't teach your children to only serve God when they feel like it or it's convenient. I've seen how that turns out and it is not pretty. And so let me show you Psalm 78, Psalm 78. Are you still with me today? Still with me? You thinking about that food? All right. I've got an advantage today. I still don't have much of a sense of smell. I can't smell if there's any food going on right now. So I could preach for another hour and be fine. I am, I am fine. Hey, it's good. Could go for days. Some, let's do it. 63 days. Who wants to pull a good old fashioned 63 dayer? <laughs> All right. Psalm 78, and here we have some instructions for us regarding training our children in the ways of God. Psalm 78, and I love this. It says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. You need to not hide the truths of God's word from your children. You have a responsibility to tell your kids and grandkids about the glorious things that God has done for you. Have you told your kids about the times that God rescued you? Have you? Do you tell your grandkids and your kids and your nieces and nephews and do you tell the next generation about the things that God did for you? Did you tell them your testimony? Have you told them what God has brought you through? If you haven't, 
You need to fix that. They need to know that that your Christianity isn't just some tradition you do. It's not just some book you read of all these old stories. They need to hear out of your mouth the things that Jesus has done for you. Kids, Daddy didn't used to be like this. I used to battle with rage and anger, but Jesus delivered me. I used to be addicted to this, but Jesus set me free. I used to battle this over here, but Jesus... Jesus broke the power of the devil over me, and I'm not the man that I used to be. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Your kids need to know that. You need to tell them. You've got a responsibility to tell them about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Verse 5, for he issued his laws to Jacob. That's his word. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. Why? So the next generation might know them. Even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. We are commanded from Scripture to teach our kids the ways of God, even our unborn children. Well, my kid's only three days old. You, you think I ought to get going on that? You've got a, you're three days late already. You need to be, <laughs> listen, you need to be teaching those kids from the time they're in the womb. They need to be hearing the scriptures and the word of God. It is never too early to start teaching the word of God. And so the pilgrims didn't just have their own immediate desire to worship Jesus in mind when they decided to take action. They were thinking of future generations. Now, earlier, I mentioned this thing called the Mayflower Compact. It's considered to be the first governing document in uh, in America. And so all the men that arrived here signed it on November 11th, 1620. And one of the first lines of this first official governing document of the United States says that they came here for the glory of God and advancements of the Christian faith. America was founded to be a Christian nation. It was founded uh, for the advancement of the Christian faith. And my 11th great grandpa signed that document. And I'm glad he did because, praise God, 400 years later, here we are preaching in a church the name of Jesus Christ. And our kids are hearing it. And our grandkids are hearing it. And the Internet's hearing it. And everywhere is hearing the name of Jesus Christ because People back then cared about, well, we may die for this whole experiment, but we're going to pass something on to our kids and grandkids. And I'm glad that there were people back then that had guts to stand up for what's right. And the third thing I'm going to say today is this. Lessons from the pilgrims. Number one, be thankful. Be thankful. The first Thanksgiving, as we know, it was celebrated in 1621. After the pilgrims harvested their first crops uh, there in their new homes, there was about 50 pilgrims left. Uh, the other half died, unfortunately, that year. They didn't make it. Um, and 19, excuse me, about 90 Wampanoag Indians, they celebrated and gave thanks for three whole days. Three days of feasting and thanksgiving. Uh, they ate and ate and ate. You know, turkey and whatever else. Then they watched the Dallas Cowboys lose the first ever Thanksgiving Day game. It was incredible. 
Who said that? All right, I don't know. Anyway, so praise God. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's tradition, <laughs> traditions, you know, they, they go back far. But at the same time, um, you know, what, what I'm really getting at there is this. <laughs> is that, hear me, hear me out, hear me out. You know, the, half of the men died. Half of the people died that year. And really on paper and on looking at things from the outside, like, there wasn't a whole lot to be thankful about. They lost half of their people. They lost half of their, I mean, the majority of their stuff. It looked really like these guys are colossal failures. They're losers. They tried. It was a swing and a miss. And this is just an apps. But what did they do? They took time through it all and said, you know what? We've made it this far, and they took that time, honestly, to give thanks to God that they were still there, that they had made it this far. And I look at so many people that just do nothing but complain, 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 and they've got a lot. <laughs> they've got a lot. They've got resources. They've got money. They've got, they may not be rich. But they're not destitute. They may not be wearing, I don't even know what the top brands are these days, but they may not be wearing the exact clothes they want, but they've got clothes. Here we are crying and sniffling and whining and our kids are wearing Air Jordans. Here we are crying and and sniffling and whining and and they're playing, you know, on a $400 Xbox and, and, and I mean, come on people, you've got it pretty good. You've got a pretty good life. You may not have as much as the guy next to you, but that's not my standard of living. My standard of living isn't how much you have. It's what God has blessed me with and what he's trusted me with. If you always have a bigger house than me, I can live with that, and I'm fine. I don't want a bigger house. There's more to clean. I don't, you know, hey, I drive an 08 Toyota Prius. With <laughs> It ain't pretty, but, man, I, I'm so grateful. For what God has given me, man. I'm not the richest man in Barstow, and I am fine with that. Jesus has been really good to me. He healed me of cancer. He uh, he healed me of COVID. He healed me of all sorts of stupid things. Amen. He's delivered me from being stupid. Just don't ask my wife. Uh, I mean... God's been real good to this guy right here. I still fit into a sweater 16 years later that I shouldn't fit into. The Lord's been good to me. And so I'm telling you, some of the junk that we sit around and complain about, we need to shut our mouths. We've got it pretty good in a lot of ways this morning. So I'm going to look at one final verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Don't focus on what's wrong with your life. Focus on what's good with your life. Come on. Focus on what's good. The good outweighs the bad. I promise you it does. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. But for real, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We need some thankful people. And I mentioned in my prayer earlier, you know, the scripture tells us that love must be sincere. And I think that sometimes we've 
even come to a place where we can force ourselves to give a little thanks, you know, at the appropriate times. Maybe, well, yes, yeah, Thanksgiving at church. I better say I'm thankful for something. But I think our thankfulness needs to be sincere, not some fake, made-up stuff. I think that we need to dig into our hearts and say, my gosh, Jesus, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for where you've brought me from, for what you've done for my kids, for, for Lord, I, the times that the devil tried to take me out that I don't even know about because you protected me so well, I didn't even know about it. But look at this. First Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Is it God's will for you to be thankful in all circumstances? Is it God's will for you to be thankful when things are really good? Yes, it is. Is it God's will for you to be thankful when things are not quite so good? Yes, it is. It is God's will for you to be thankful in every single circumstance. And I have found in my life, that there's not a single circumstance that I have found myself in where I can't give thanks to God. And, you know, I remember I've, I've done some traveling. I, I was in, uh, when I, was, I spent my 15th birthday in St. Petersburg, Russia. And I was over there for a while doing missions work as a teenager. And I'm telling you what, I couldn't stand it over there. I hated it over there. It was awful. It was so depressing. And I mean, it was just, there was things I thought I didn't like about my little redneck hillbilly town I grew up in, in Indiana. Sorry if anyone is watching from Indiana, but at the same time, I was like, hey, it was, it was rednecks. And so I'm like, man, I can't wait to get out of there. Then I, I go, I fly across the ocean and I could not stand it over there. But as I'm, as I'm, uh, you know, preaching on the streets over there and stuff like that. It was a wild time. But really, it made me realize, my gosh, I've got a really good, good life. I don't have everything, you know, back there in Indiana that I that I want. I didn't feel like I had much. But when you start to see, it's like the old story you've heard maybe that there was this guy that was sad about not having any shoes till he met the guy that didn't have any feet. Then he's like, hey, you know what? I don't have it so bad. And my challenge to you this morning is this, uh, you know, as I'm, I'm bringing it in for a landing, Josh, come on up. But I, I, I want you to realize that we need to be thankful for what God has already done, not just constantly looking for the next blessing. Have you stopped to thank God for the last blessing or are you too busy whining and complaining and begging and, and all this stuff for the next thing? That you want from God. I heard this story about these two old friends. They met. Uh, they met each other on the street one day. One guy looked really sad, almost depressed, on the verge of tears. His friend asked, "My gosh, what's the world done to you, my old friend?" The sad guy said, "Well, let me tell you. Three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me forty thousand dollars." And the guy's like, "Well, that's a lot of money." So why do you look so sad? He's like, hold on. The very next week, I had a cousin who I've never even met died and left me $85,000 free and clear. And so the one friend's like, I don't get it. Why are you so sad? And then the sad guy says, no, 
Listen, the week after that, I won a sweepstakes of nearly a quarter of a million dollars. And and the other guy says, why are you so sad? This is a lot of random stuff that's happened to you. He's like, yeah, all that happened three weeks in a row. This week, nothing's happened. And so, so many of us, you've had good thing happen, good thing happen, good thing happen. And here you are just like, man, where's the next one? It's not fair. Why did it happen this week? Why didn't that? Did you even stop to thank God for the last thing that he did for you? Are you too concerned about what you didn't get this week? It is so important that we give true thanks to God for what he's done. I'm thankful to be at church this morning, people. I'm thankful that uh, that churches everywhere are open pretty much. I'm thankful that I'm not at home. I'm thankful that I'm here. I'm thankful to have church family that loves me and cares about me. And, and God's been nothing but good to me. I, I don't have one complaint against God. Nothing. He's been nothing but good to me. Can we stand up together this morning? Praise God. Praise God. I, maybe that seemed all a little bit random to you. I don't know, but... But I want us this morning to realize a few things. Like we said, number one, the time is always right to do what is right. We've got to stand up for our Christian beliefs. We've got to stand up for the Bible, for the name of Jesus, for our children. Because it's not just about right now. It's about the next generation. And also, we need to truly give thanks to God today because whether you know it or not he's been very very good to you and so what we're going to do this morning I'm going to have my prayer team come on up first of all if you need prayer for anything this morning uh, we want to uh, give you a chance to be prayed for and you guys can ignore the, the workers don't mind them they'll be there in a little bit but I want you for a few minutes this morning if you need prayer we want to pray for you but even more than that Josh is going to lead us in worship for just another couple minutes here. You and your spot where you are right now, I believe that you need to take a few minutes to give thanks to God for some of the things that he's done for you. Some of the things that he's brought you through. Some of the miracles that have taken place in your life. Some of the protection and provision that has occurred. And I'm challenging you. I'm telling you. I'm commanding you right now in the name of Jesus to take these next couple of minutes to focus on him and give Jesus some thanks for what he's done in your life. And let it be sincere. Don't be fake. Be sincere with Jesus. Amen. Josh, go ahead and lead us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.